Hello, folks, and welcome to this pre-Christmas edition of Got Your Back, LeBron and Rashog. Happy holidays, folks. Merry Christmas. Getting to be that time of year. Be our last show before the Christmas break. So why not make it a Christmas-themed edition of Got Your Back? And that is the plan here this morning. A reminder that Cross Country Canada is our title sponsor here on Got Your Back, LeBron and Rashog. And they provide rental equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. What sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude, a core value of their company. I've been to the head office. They've got it proudly displayed on the walls at each of their branches. And every one of their staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they never let the customer down. And as I mentioned before on the pod given this is the Christmas pod, they know how to throw one heck of a good Christmas party. Nothing but fun with the crew uh, at Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, and we're happy to have them on board as our title sponsors. We say ho, 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 and good morning to the jolly Pierre Lebrun. How you doing, pal? I know you're disappointed. You wanted me in a Santa outfit, but uh, I know. Anyways, let's face it. I have I have the natural build for it, but uh, we couldn't find a Santa hat that would fit. <laughs> this head this head needs uh, as I like to say the store. I used to work in a one year in university. I worked in a sports store, and uh, and so fitted hats. Right, people love yep. fitted baseball hats. There wasn't one on the shelf that could fit me. I had we had to order a special one for me. Seven yep. and seven eight, seven and seven eights, man. Wow, that's like an ast- that's like an astronaut's helmet. Yeah, no uh, kidding. That's, that's, yeah. Well, my whole life, our family always debated whether my head was bigger than my brother Rob's. We always had the debate, and good thing for us, after like fifteen years of debating it, we have an engineer in the family, so we decided to go straight science on it, and we scienced our way to an answer. So Clayton came over, and what we did was a water displacement test where we filled a bucket with water. And then we stuck our heads in and then took our heads out, kind of let our hair drip dry back in. And then through science, sheer, the sheer force of amazing science from Clayton, the engineer, he determined, I mean, I think the whole thing was flawed and completely bogus, but he is our scientist. He declared Rob has the bigger head. And I have been, I have been running with that for years. So big heads running the Rashog family too. My kid Noah's got a dome too. I'd like to say big head means big brain, but I think uh, all evidence to the contrary over here. By the way, speaking of of heads and headspace, I'm not sure if you can see. I'm a stickler for the details, but you you're you don't have enough headspace in your shot right now. Like let's well, well, edit I had, this on I, the I fly. I had Tilt. too much. There I had you too much. And, <laughs> there uh, you go. We're not using we're not using my normal camera right now. Yeah, so yeah, no. A little. Uh, it's all good. Filter. All good. Got to make it look good. We can always edit on the fly here on Got Your Back, Pierre. No problem. Uh, listen, want to run down what we're going to have on the podcast today. Fantastic guest, Boston Bruins head coach Jim Montgomery. Uh, took some time out of his day to uh, to chat with us. Have to say, Pierre, really, really enjoyed that interview with Montgomery. One of the great comeback stories in the NHL this year. Yeah. I mean, that team just doesn't lose. The way that he has meshed with uh, those players and the way they've taken off is unreal. There's no better story in the NHL right now. Yeah, for sure. So a nice in-depth interview with Jim Montgomery. Also, going to debrief an article you did in The Athletic, uh, Pierre's Christmas Gifts to the National Hockey League, Six Ideas to Make It Better. We'll quickly run that down. And also, we're going to keep with the Christmas theme in our breakdown segment. We're going to go through the wish lists of all seven Canadian NHL teams. So that's the plan for the podcast today. Um, I wanted to start with your article. Um, so basically, this is uh, six ways I'd change the NHL from the trade rules to the point system uh, and everything in between. So these are things, where would you say your passion level is on these, Pierre? Is number one the one you're most passionate about, one through six here? You've got fix the point system as numero uno. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be my last one. So I, I presented it as a six-pack in a holiday theme, uh, Ryan. Yes. And uh, some of these I've been espousing for years, but uh, awarding the cup by the night of May 31st is top of my list for sure, which is why I end with it. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I shared some of these ideas with a high-profile profile NHL player, and that was his number one as well. Was knowing it was mine. Getting it done quicker, uh, hey? Yeah, just, you know... 
June hockey just doesn't do it for me. I mean, you and I have covered so many Stanley Cup finals. You're walking in a hot summer day, walking into the rink. Just doesn't feel like the most important games of the year are about to be played. And yeah. uh, and plus, the ice is usually a victim of that kind of weather, too, despite all the best efforts from the league. You know, the last time that the Stanley Cup was award- awarded before June 1st, can, can you can you think off the top of your head? No, i May twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, like, I was fourteen. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it's been all June hockey ever since, and yeah. uh, and like I said, uh, just trading emails with with uh, with an NHL star player that was number one for him. So you have fixed the, the point system. system. Yeah, fix the point system is one. Uh, go back to conference playoffs. I'm just going to run them down here quick, and then we can chat yeah. about the ones you want. Eliminate the trapezoid. That's interesting. Allow teams to retain more salary in trades. I like that one. And uh, move up the start of free agency and award the Stanley Cup by May 31st. So we discussed that one. What do you think about the point system? Yeah, and I've written about this in the past. Um, you know, back in February 2004, uh, Dregs was there, Bob McKenzie. I'm trying to think. There was only five or six of us media-wise. In Henderson, Nevada, this was the famous GM's meeting in February 2004, Ryan. Where when they came out of it, Campbell had a sheet of paper. He goes, here are some things we're recommending for further discussion. Elimination of the center red line. Uh, complete crackdown on obstruction. The uh, the uh, uh, bringing in a shootout to end uh, over. The whole list was being run out. That was the day that the NHL decided to reset its, its league, right? Coming out of the lockout a year yeah. later. But in that list of recommendations, and people always forget this part, Ryan, but I will never forget, three points for a 60-minute win was on that list. Yeah. And and for whatever reason, and I've tried to investigate it over the years, of all the things they recommended that day, that was the one thing that, that didn't make it on the other side of the lockout when the NHL rebooted five. And part of the reason is the league gave it more thought and, and was concerned that some team would be completely buried by Christmas uh, because the cream would rise to the top, right? Three win, three points for a 60-minute win. And, and I understand that, but I think years later, the summer cap has had its desired effect. The league is close. I mean, I mean, honestly, how many games do you watch, especially with the Oilers, but you go into a game that's like, eh, 50-50. That's the league now. I mean, the league is so close. I think three points for 60 minutes would actually be a truer reflection of the real standings. Here are the teams that get it done. Right. Um, not to mention the impact it might have in March when teams are trying to chase a playoff spot and the idea that maybe in the third period they got to do some crazy stuff. So I I love the idea. Um, and the point, of, the point of it is that right now it's so truncated, the point system, that all these overtime and shootout losses are keeping teams into races where maybe they shouldn't be in. And I just don't – I think it's a bit of a, a fake element of the parity that the league has in the standings. Yeah, I think keeping – they'll always be conscientious about not having teams out of it any sooner than they need to be, right? Because then it's fan base and interest and revenue and all those sorts mm-hmm. of things, and that's probably where some of that concern comes from. Uh, the one I want to talk about is uh, letting teams retain more salary. I mean, right? you can buy your way out of your mistakes, right? Or you can buy other people out of their mistakes and help improve your organization. It's kind of a – it's kind of a win-win. What would be the reason not to do something like that? Why limit it? Right. So so I couldn't remember why the current rule, as most people know, is you can only retain up to 50% uh, yeah. on a salary and capped it in, in any particular trade. And then you're actually looking at how many times you can do that. So I, I did email with Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, to ask about the 50% rule. And he reminded me that the reason it's at 50% is that when the cap system actually came in, there was no salary retention in trades mm-hmm. and the GMs were pushing for some salary retention. And so the league obliged, but said, okay, let's have some guardrails here to use Bill Daly's words. And that's why they said they thought 50% would be a safe way to, to look at the impact on the system, which makes sense. You don't go to hundred percent when you didn't even have any salary retention to begin with. My point now is that we've had 50% for a long time now. Why not push this up? I mean, there, there are so few trades. It's so difficult for teams to move money, move players. And to your point, you, you you caught on the part that I was trying to sell here. It's not like it wouldn't cost you something. Okay, yeah, you might be getting a player for free in terms of cash and cap it. 
But boy, the asset cost of you getting Patrick Kane at $10.5 million where Chicago retains $10.5 million, here's the new asset price, first round pick plus. And I think it'd be interesting that way. The money's still in the system overall, which is all the NHL cares about, that the cap system doesn't soften, right? Chicago yeah. still has him on the cap for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. There's no money well, going so out of good. the system. Like, there's no fundamental right. change. And it just, it's it's where it's distributed and how you can maneuver your way yeah. out of mistakes and how you can, it, it empowers teams to, you know, build their system over a period of years by being willing to take on some, some bad contracts and help teams out of their messes. So I just think it would add for more intrigue at deadline day. And, well, nobody would be happier about that than you guys on that uh on that panel <laughs> and james duffy well well i mean i think hockey fans in general and yeah and for sure general managers so anyway yeah food for thought you never know yeah like the article check it out uh, at the athletic um where pierre always contributes such great stuff okay let's get to all seven canadian teams in their christmas wish list and that will be the breakdown brought to you by pro hockey life christmas is on the way and pro hockey life yeah, it can be a one-stop shop for the hockey lover in your life. Some really cool products to think about. They've got the Hockey Shot Hockey Radar. What young hockey player doesn't want to know how hard they can shoot that thing? What young hockey player doesn't want to try and see if they can improve that over time? They have those. They're awesome. You can even test yourself against your kids. They've got other great training devices like the Super Deke or the Helio Core Performance Sensor. they got great technology there to help measure and improve the growth in different areas. Lots of great apparel as well. Pro Hockey Life, obsessed with the game. Uh, go there for some of your Christmas shopping if you got to get some late shopping done. You done your shopping, Pierre? What does it look like in the LeBron household? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> got a few more days, right? <laughs> you have your wife's gift bought, don't you? Uh, I, I have ordered. I have to go pick it up. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. I was gonna say, man, that's leaving her pretty late in the day. Um, you know, you know, you know. Saturday is still a, a, Saturday is still a good window day. Saturday's Christmas Eve, buddy. The stores are still open. Are you nuts? Do you have any the Cowboys idea don't play many... till the Cowboys don't play till four thirty. Oh so my goodness, okay. Pierre! It's gonna be you and like. 10,000 stressed out other 30, 40 year old males who screwed up and left it too long, wandering around the mall, angry at each other. You never go leave it that late. I, I do my Christmas shopping like November. I get done so early. It's I'm kind of nerdy yeah, about not, it. I don't know. I'm not in the mood yet. No, I'll be going today after we've done this. All right. Good stuff. Uh, okay. We're going to run down the uh, all seven Canadian teams and what their, uh, what their Christmas wish list would look like. By the way, we have fantastic reporters across the country at TSN. So via text message, I reached out to them for their answer nice. on their specific team. So we'll get to those, but look definitely want to definitely want to hear yours. And we will have some sound effects because, well, let's be honest, the budget is endless here on got your back. So depending on how oh, the yeah. team goes and depending on what we think, we're either going to get a, oh. Jolly old Merry Nick Christmas. There. Yeah. Uh, or there's that one too, right? Ebenezer Scrooge. So we'll just sort of decide depending on how we're feeling about things and, and how the teams are sounding. Um, by the way, when you go looking for Christmas sound effects on uh, on uh, online, there are some weird stuff, man. There are some creepy Santa sound effects. I, I'm disturbed some of the stuff I found. This is the this was the friendliest one I could find, and it's Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful what you click on. Um, <laughs> I, I would have been, I, I would have been looking for some clips from Bad Santa, man, the greatest Christmas movie. Ever, oh, I know, anyway. I know. The new, uh, by the way, the new Ryan Reynolds flick with Will Ferrell. It's a musical. It's a Christmas right. movie. I wasn't sure. I was super skeptical. Not a big fan of movies. Uh, I actually didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty good, Pierre. I have to say, I actually enjoyed it. I can't remember the yeah. name right now, but so there you go. Something okay. for you and the kids. Uh, okay, that's let's how start. Much you liked it. That's how much you liked it. You can't remember the name. Yeah, I know. That's that's bad form. I should have it. Uh, I'll try and search it here. Okay, let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Twenty-seven and six. They're second in the division, fifth in the league, seven-two and one in their last ten games. Their power play is twelfth. You know, they was first last year at twenty-seven percent. So maybe something in and around the power play upgrade. A uh, little request for Santa Claus. Maybe uh, I don't know, Pierre. What's up? what are you thinking? For the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're hoping for on Christmas morning. Yeah, playing outstanding hockey. Uh, what I would say is continued health for Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. That would be the number one Christmas wish 
from management and the coaching staff. Interesting. I mean, for sure. I don't know. Can you wish for something that you already have? Are you just casting bad luck on it by wishing uh, for I mean, it? I mean, based on, you know, both of their previous histories and what's already happened this year, both guys already got hurt. Yeah. Uh, both have been excellent when healthy. I think you can wish for continued health. Yes. Yeah, I'll say that extra 4% on the power play. Seems like a small thing, but the 12th they're, they're 12th in the league this year. They were the top power play last year at 27%, and that little bit can make a big difference. But look out, because Austin Matthews is coming to life from a goal-scoring standpoint. So I think that one's already wrapped and sitting under the tree. Mark Masters, our brilliant reporter, does such great work for us. He's at the World Juniors right now as well. He took some time out of his busy day typing 10,000-word uh, missives on everything going on with the Leafs and Team Canada. Says, a top-six left winger and a different division. I think that's a great answer from Mark Masters. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas! Yeah, no, it it looks pretty simple to me. Beat Tampa uh, this time in the first round, and then uh, you know, oh, yeah. by Boston. Yeah, just blaze your way through, hey, right? It's that, doable. Uh, it's doable. That whole thing. So what do you say? What do you say? He said a, a top nine forward or a top six forward. What he said you... a top six left winger and a different division. Oh, is what top Mark six said. left winger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Makes some sense there. Okay, moving on to the Montreal Canadiens. We have a new reporter in Montreal. She does a fantastic job. Also heading to the World Juniors, Kenzie Lalonde. I really liked her answer here because it's it's thinking outside the box. Her answer is continued enthusiasm despite the results. It can't be easy for them to be going through what they go through. They want to be better as a team. They want to take steps, right? Uh, but they've got a young group, and Marty St. Louis is poised, I think, to continue injecting that. But enthusiasm, even when you're rebuilding, is critical. And uh, that is her, what she thinks their one of their wishes might be. Yeah, that's a good point, because they've come down to earth, obviously, as expected, uh, after a surprising start. Uh, stole a point in Colorado last night. Just, you know, they're obviously not good enough defensively. They give up too much. But uh, there's been development there. You see the growth in some of the young core guys. I would say, and I guess I'm guilty of always looking at it through management size, but my Christmas gift for the Montreal Canadiens would be for a trade market to finally develop for Evgeny Dandenoff and Jonathan Druin before he right. third because there's just not been a lot of interest. And those are two players because they're pending UFAs that the Habs would have dealt, frankly, by now if there was a decent offer on the table. And I think the concern for them, to be honest, Ryan, is that in a trade year where you have some names like Bo Horvat and Brock Besser and Patrick Kane and potentially Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and the list goes on, I don't know how much interest there'll be, you know, especially guy like Danonoff that they thought would, would you know, got scored some goals in Vegas. They thought there would be some decent interest in him. So uh, that would be the Christmas wish, I think, for Montreal was is – for those guys to suddenly peak more interest around the league. Uh, yep, definitely. Seventh in the Atlantic, 3-5-2 and two in their last 10 games. Okay, on to the nation's capital, the Ottawa Senators. Claire Hanna does fantastic work on our CFL broadcasts, on our Senators broadcasts. Um, and again, like some of the answers were serious. Some of them were goofy. I got back all sorts of different types of stuff. So the one, the serious one, because Claire... Her, her natural instinct is always to be a goof, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but her serious answer was a right-shot defenseman. I think we, we know that that's what the Ottawa Senators uh, you know, have been looking for, potentially could use, so that's the serious answer. The, the less serious one, she said a time machine to go back and not have Josh Norris take that face off that ended up hurting his shoulder. Her point here is on Norris and just the, the luck with this guy and how badly they need to have this player in the lineup and have him contributing and making a difference. Uh, he's so critical for them and such an important player. And to, you know, to, to end up having to have him on the shelf as, long, as much as they have, is, that's tough for the organization. For where they want to be, Pierre, they're 14-16-2, last in the Atlantic. Yeah, and it's a team that I feel has actually been better than their record indicates, if that makes any sense. But that doesn't get a whole lot in life, especially given their their, their long journey here and their rebuild. Uh, I agree. Blue line upgrade would be my Christmas wish for them, not from a lack of effort. Pierre Dorian, I can tell you that. Jacob Trickren is not a right shot defenseman, but he does. He can play both the right side and the left side. So that would be still in Ottawa and Arizona have had lost conversations over the past year whether or not they can 
ever find a, a middle ground. We'll see. For a team that was uh, wanting to take a step forward, got aggressive, started adding, has not been the results they've been bah, looking for. humbug! Yes. Bah, humbug! Uh, for the, I think that's fair so far for the Ottawa Senators to this point in the year. Uh, on to the Winnipeg Jets. The newly, freshly relocated John Liu was such a presence in Montreal for all those years, covering the Owls and the Habs, but he went home back to Winnipeg and now he's doing a fantastic job uh, covering the Jets. So his thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets' wishes. How about a healthy lineup? And he believes this gift is going to come in January, right? Ehlers, Wheeler, Schmidt, uh, probably back that month. But I have to say, you know, they, they have been dealing with some injury issues. They have been banged up. But the Winnipeg Jets, real nice story this year with where they're at in the standings, the year that they're having, the way it started, you know, with the whole Wheeler and the captaincy thing and that whole drill with Rick Bonus there. Um, but you know, not a team that necessarily needs a ton under the tree, Pierre. No, but again, my brain is wired a certain way. As you know, I would say a Christmas wish for the Winnipeg Jets is that Pierre Luc Dubois by the end of the year, a change of heart as far as his long term, right? Future. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean. You know, Dregs interviewed him before the year, and they always, you know, they don't want to make it a distraction. But we saw, you know, the Calgary Flames went through it, um, you know, with a really key piece of their organization. Probably hard for it not to be. Do you have a gut instinct on this? Like, uh, as of this moment, it feels so, like we kind of know, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, the communication was pretty clear in the offseason that, that he wasn't ready to commit long-term to the Jets. And, of course, now he's RFA at the end of the year. And so where does this go? But... You know, I, I interviewed Kevin Shoveldale for that piece on the Jets I did recently, and one of the things that Shoveldale said is exactly what a lot of us are thinking. Could a fun year and a fun season under Coach Bonus, you know, change some ideas? He was careful in what he said, obviously, Shoveldale, but it's exactly my thought is, what if this Jets team goes deep and they're having fun and they love playing for Rick Bonus? Everyone's, you know, these are human beings, these players, and maybe by the end says, you know what? Change my mind. We'll see. 21-10-1, second in the Central. Moving on to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I cover the Edmonton Oilers for the network. Um, I would say, I think if they were, you know, they were pour some truth serum into them, it would be that Evan Bouchard and Darnell Nurse return to form. These are two critical right. defensemen that haven't been playing up to snuff so far this year. Bouchard's a little younger here, so he gets a bit of breathing room, but... Uh, there's been a slight uptick with Nurse here the last game or so, but I think those two not playing the way that they can just puts all this pressure. Uh, do they need to run out and overspend and get a defenseman right now instead of being able to just let it lie and wait till deadline and, and not have to overpay, not have to rush things? So there's an odd pressure on the organization with these guys struggling and fighting it on a lot of nights. So I think a return to form for Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard would be my thought on that. You? Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, obviously I think a blue line upgrade nevertheless would be my Christmas for the Oilers at some point. To your point, you know, if you compare with the Leafs, for example, when they had all the blue line injuries, notably Morgan Riley, of course, Jake Muzzin, who we probably won't see again uh, this year. Um, you know, there was a sense that the Leafs were going to be forced in panic with all their blue line injuries. And the opposite happened. They, they, got galvanized by it and played their best hockey of the year. And the Leafs haven't had to do anything as their some of their injured defensemen are on the men that in a similar fashion, the Oilers, the improvement within these point is what I think has to happen before you worry about anything else. They're a better team than this. We saw last year after Jay Whitcroft took yep. over the second half of the year and their playoff run. So it's there. It, it has to start there because it's not a good position right now. If you're trying to trade for a defenseman and every GM in the league knows, you know, how shaky defensively things have been. It's just not a good leverage point. I totally agree with you. Connor McDavid, by the way, uh, on pace for 70 goals. So there's <laughs> that, right? And that is a big, uh, for the Merry Christmas. Yes, very merry, merry first uh, chunk of the year here for McDavid on pace for 70 Pierre. That'd really be something. Unreal. Could have the Rocket, the Art Ross, the Hart, the Tetsenzi. Just run the damn table, hey? All of it. Yeah. Uh, universe, I guess. The one he would want is the Conn Smythe, because that means they got to you know where. So uh 15, 12, and 6. They're out of the playoffs right now, the Calgary Flames. So it's weird. They're scoring enough. They're six in the league at 3.5 goals a game. 
third fewest goals against at 2.5 goals per game against. Their power plays 10th and their penalty kills 6th. They're out of the playoffs. They got they, they got a lot of stuff happening that, that looks on paper to be pretty good. Solomon Valji is our uh, reporter in Calgary. Does a great job looking after the Flames. He says, under the tree for them, a return to identity. Net driving, second chance creating, cycling, back checking. He really feels that they've gotten away from an identity that they had success with. And a lot of the same players, you know, to help recreate that identity. There were changes, but still at its core, very similar team. He thinks they've gotten away from that identity a little bit. So a return to yeah. that is what Solom has to say. What do you think, Pierre? I think you're undervaluing the changes that did happen, though. I think they ripped their guts out in having to move Matthew Kachuk and and, and have Johnny Goudreau walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds of arguably the best line in, in hockey last year. And it's just... It's been difficult to reproduce some of the same chemistry uh, with their new parts. Although I love, obviously, my favorite addition is Nazem Kadri and and what he brings. But uh, they've not recreated the identity. It's all right on. Um, they got time. They're not out of it. But it's it's been a little more now than just the start of the season, right? So so that's a team that's got to get going. Um, I guess my Christmas tree item. I don't know, a contract extension for tree living? Would that help sort of stabilize <laughs> some of the noise there? I don't know. Uh, you think it's contract extension uh, talk time? Isn't there a little bit to be determined no, with this group? It, like, there's some, yeah, there's some stuff think, to figure I, I out, it, right? And in fact, the last time tree living was in this position a few years ago, as you may remember, he didn't sign. He was, he was actually in a contract year. I don't know what year it was, but he signed his deal in June. Just yeah. as his contract was expiring, which is becoming strangely enough, you used to never see that. Yeah. But Don Sweeney last year signed his new contract uh, within, I think, 48 hours of his deal expiring. Don Waddell actually signed his contract two months after his contract expired in Carolina, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't getting much attention. So it's not the end of the world. I mean, GMs are GMs are used to it these days. Well, based on what the summer hype was and what expectations were humbug. no choice uh, bah, humbug. no yeah. choice but about humbug for the calgary flames I've, I've been forgetting my uh my sound effects we forgot to do a few teams but uh moving on to the vancouver canucks farhan lalji uh one of our few bureau reporters who's been around longer than i have farhan has been at tsn since 1947 and, and, and a football <laughs> aficionado who Foot- likes to text me when the when the cowboys are losing oh he does he well. always gives it yeah. to you yeah he's a football nut job but he does a great job covering the vancouver canucks as well so far hands christmas wish list for the vancouver canucks top of the list takers for some of their ugly contracts oh please oh please come and and you know Take our problems, uh, take our troubles away from us. Whether it's OEL, Myers, Garland, Pearson, uh, Miller hasn't even gotten his going yet, but he really thinks that uh, you know some takers for these deals would make a big difference. Like, listen, that Miller contract put people in a certain headspace about where this team was going to be at, thinking, oh, maybe it's more about the here and now. Uh, but here we are at Christmas time, Pierre, and it just feels like it—it it just has not gone to script and. And some restructuring is needed, but that's hard to do when you're bogged down with deals. Yeah, and, and it's easy to say in hindsight. That's why we sit on the side of it, Brian, and, and we don't sit in the hot chair and actually yep. make those decisions. But in hindsight, it still, to me, felt like Horvath's the guy that had been last summer, if possible. Clearly, the two sides are way off from their positions. And Miller's the guy that you trade, which I always thought was the way things were going to go down. Um what it has produced is is probably having to trade Bor Horvat, which who is having a career year, heart and soul guy. And, and listen, I get it. That doesn't mean that you give players anything they want in an extension. You have to run a business, but um, it's a tough position they're in that way with him. And uh, so my Christmas wish for the Canucks is that there's somehow a 11th hour change of heart from both Horvat and the Canucks management. They find a way to, to get an extension, even though right now uh, things look like it's headed in the polar opposite direction. Yeah, for sure. 13, five, three, uh, they're five, nine and one on home ice. Um, 
So yeah, hasn't definitely hasn't been the start that the Vancouver Canucks uh, would have been wanting. Um, all right, that's going to run down all seven Canadian teams. Humbug. humbug there for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break here, Pierre. By the way, that was the breakdown brought to you by Pro Hockey Life. Real nice conversation with Boston Bruins head coach Jim Montgomery. Uh, plenty more to come here on Got Your Back. Stay with us. We want to tell you about a truly Canadian company. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals provides equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value of their company. I've been to the offices. I've seen how they proudly display that on the wall at each branch. Every one of the staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they'll never let their customers down. They'll bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need when they need it. They don't make excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in this attitude and they truly believe that the success of their customer is their success. You can't get much more Canadian than that. All right, time now for Who's Got Your Back, brought to you by Liberty Smart Security. Of course, Liberty Smart Security provides some high-end, high-technology, fantastic security systems to allow you to take great care of the things that matter most to you in your life. They use leading-edge technology to protect the things that you value the most. I've got a Liberty Smart Security system. I've had one for the last six or seven years, and it's fantastic technology. It's a great product. It can be as complex and detailed as you want if you're techie, or it can be as simple as you want, but it feels great driving away from the house knowing you've got an armed, monitored security system taking care of everything that you just left behind. And Liberty Smart Security is a great place uh, to get that done. Visit libertysecurity.ca. Our guest today, uh, Jim Montgomery, the head coach of the Boston Bruins, one of the great comeback stories in the National Hockey League this year. Pierre, let's run people quickly through what the sequence of events over the last couple of years were for Montgomery if, if people weren't up to speed on it. December 10th, 2019, was let go by the Dallas Stars for unprofessional conduct. And then that tipped off, as you documented very nicely in your article with him in The Athletic, um, a life-changing several months for Jim Montgomery. And, and we talked to him about that today. But as you see him back in the National Hockey League, you think about you know back on December 10th when we all got that news and how surprised we all were uh, at what had happened. Yeah, a life-changing event for sure. Uh, obviously sought help, went to rehab, uh, completely changed his life. Um, and... Uh, it's been the comeback trail ever since and a really emotional story, but an inspirational story. Um, you know, his ability to speak to people that need help with addiction and so on. Uh, it really, it's powerful stuff and uh, glad that he was able to talk to us about it again today. Um, on top, of course, of, uh, talking about some X's and O's with his first place Boston Bruins. Yeah, I love getting into some of the, the changes that he's made with his players. They want to be more of a puck possession team, not really worry about shot volume. We got into some of those tactics with him. The Bruins, 25-4-2, top team in the National Hockey League by five points. They got an 839 winning percentage. The man behind it, the head coach, Jim Montgomery, is our guest, courtesy Liberty Smart Security. Bit of a break for the Boston Bruins, and that means Jim Montgomery has a chance to join us. Jim, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to, to chat with Pierre and I. I want to start with a piece of sound, and I have a feeling this might bring a smile to your face. Take a listen. The momentum turns, missed the ball, goes the other way. Balls away, up right here, look at me, scores! You got it yet? No. Oh, now I got it. Yeah. That was a great moment in my life in the University of Maine. Holy smokes. I was doing some research for this interview, Jim, and I knew about the University of Maine and the Hobie Baker. I knew about, you know, all the points you scored and everything. I did not know that it was a three-goal come, like a, a hat-trick in the third period of a national championship in that small a window. That's one of the great comebacks in, in championship history. That uh, That's got a... That's got to be a memory that, man, that, that's a beauty to have. Yeah, it was an amazing moment for uh, the program had not achieved that success. And we had the whole state behind us. And what people don't realize is the three goals were combined, like maybe eight feet from. The oh, I watched them. I watched them today. So I'll describe them, Pierre. I don't know if you've seen these. You can actually watch the whole period on YouTube. First one, Paul Korea set you up. You tapped it in from like 12 inches. 
<laughs> Second one, I think you bounced it in off of somebody, bounced up over the tender, I think, if I saw properly. And then the next, the last one, the uh, the third one, a two-on-one developed. You could not get it over to Paul Correa fast enough for him to be the one carrying it on the two-on-one. And then he fired <laughs> it back to you, and that ended up being the, the – the third one was probably the nicest of the three. Well, it didn't take long um, to figure out when you're – this is the first time I played with someone that was that talented – and you give the puck to Paul and just skate to open space. And if your stick's on the ice, you're going to score a goal. I mean, it was that – he was that amazing. That first pass was actually an amazing pass by him. The, I do agree that the last one was more of a picturesque goal. Yeah, absolutely. What a moment. And by the way, my favorite part about that video was this. The floor is your final college game, a natural hat. Congratulations, young man. Uh, thank you very much, Tom Mees. I mean, uh, I can't express what I'm going through right now. This is just fabulous. And uh, I don't care about the hat trick. I just care. We got a national championship. We did it, Arno. Yeah, State of Maine. Woo! Oh, hey, that, that youthful thrill. Like the party <laughs> That's has to go true emotion there. Yeah, that's true emotion right there. Uh, well, listen, you guys are uh, – you're playing fantastic hockey this year, Jim. And I just wonder, you know, day-to-day what kind of emotions you're feeling right now with the club where it is, with you sitting where you are. And, man, I don't know if you could have envisioned a better start. No, um, you couldn't have. You know, I mean, you know, at the beginning we were missing three really important players and uh, we got off to a real good start based a lot on emotion and playing for each other. Um and then our game started to grow uh, in the sense that we started executing at a higher level. Um, and I think the great leadership that we have here led by Patrice, but we probably have, he probably has nine um, lieutenants under him that are great leaders, you know, and that's what makes my job so easier and the rest of our staff's easy is we can just really focus on giving them a plan and they're not only going to carry out the plan, but they're also um, going to bring the emotion and the, I guess, the level-headedness that you need to continue to win at such a high level. It's not easy. This league is incredibly humbling. And the fact that uh, we're winning at such a high rate is because of the leadership in our locker room. Now, Jim, what did you know of Patrice Bergeron's plans when, when you uh... – when you took on the Bruins job last summer, because well, let's put it this way. It took Patrice a while, at least to announce publicly that he was coming back. But did you know enough to know that, that hundred percent you were going to have one of the great all time players in Boston Bruins history back for another year, or did you just have to sort of accept that uh, hopefully he would and, uh, and sign on either way? You know, um, I, in the interview process, um, it was never really said if he was, it was hinted that they thought he would. Um, but as soon as uh, it was official that um, I was going to be the head coach of the Boston Bruins, he was the first call I received. And right. when I spoke to him, it was clear in my mind that he was coming back because he was talking about, we are going to do this. This is, you know, welcome to the Boston Bruins family. I'm looking forward to doing this. And when I asked him questions about, you know, the injuries we're going to face and, what kind of start we're going to have. He was already talking about this is going to be a great opportunity for so many of us. When you you take over a team like that, where the leadership, as you talked about, is so rooted in and so established, what's the approach in terms of figuring out as you arrive, how much do I actually need to change here? Because these guys have been doing things a certain way for, for quite a while. What's the evaluation process like in figuring out both from a system standpoint, from culture standpoint, what do I need to change and what do I just need to keep my hands off of? What was that like for you figuring out? Yeah, from a system standpoint, it was, you know, the Bruins have been an elite defensive team for, I guess, since Charles stepped in here. And so the, there wasn't a real need to, to change much there. Uh, there was definitely a change I wanted to make to uh, how we play with the puck. And it just really comes down to, uh, I believe, in shot quality over shot volume. A lot of people, some coaches like to shoot the puck and, and care about the shot clock. Um, I don't really care about the shot clock. I mean, obviously you want to. I care that we're creating high quality scoring chances um, and making people defend to wear them down over the course of the game. And, and then when it came to uh, 
you know, the leadership and trying to change anything. I actually took the approach of how much am I going to learn from these guys? And I have learned so much um, about communication, about listening, about, you know, because I've been so open-minded with trying to learn from them, I think I've gotten better because of that. Jim, Pierre, I'm just going to jump in with a follow-up yeah. on the shot quality thing. That's really interesting to me, Jim, because if you're wanting your players to be a little bit more selective about when they throw the puck towards the net, you're wanting them to hang on to it in certain situations, and I would imagine empowering them to try and make plays. That has to come with a certain amount of understanding that maybe – rather than shooting it if they're going to try and make a play they might not make the right one as often is there kind of a, a give and take in terms of your understanding that when you're asking the players to play that way uh, there might be more mistakes out of trying to create what's the what's the balance there well there has been there, and and we've given up more odd man rushes this year um, than Bruins teams in the past and our first Say, well, I don't know, we're at game 32 tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Our first 15 games, we gave up more odd man rushes than we have in the last 15. So I think mm -hmm. through trial and error, I think the players have adjusted as to what's a good play and what's too high risk to create the reward that we're looking for. Um, but again, the hockey sense on this team, on lines one, you know, all four lines and all 6D, is uh, I'm spoiled with what Don Sweeney has given us to work with. Uh, Jim, I was chatting with John Cooper uh, earlier this week. The Lightning were here in Toronto. And we're just talking about the top of this division right now, obviously with the Bruins off to this unbelievable start. And then you got the Leafs that have really steadied their season, playing some of their best hockey. And now Tampa's come alive, of course, which we all expected. Um, it's, not, it's not for the weak of heart. And... I mean, listen, there is no easy matchup anymore when you make the playoffs. Every single team that gets in is a tough out. But if there's if there's a carrot on top of you guys can stay in first, avoiding Tampa or Toronto, how how nice would that be, I guess, uh, if you're going to you know be picky about your path? Well, it is. As I, I think Toronto is a dynamite team, and uh, it's impressive how good they've been defensively. Um, I watched a lot of that game yesterday, and I think the shots were 23-4 to four at one point, to how committed they are to playing on the right side of the puck. And, and then you got Tampa Bay that's won two Stanley Cups and been to three in a row, um, who's a hardened team, uh, probably the mentally toughest team in the league because they know how to win and they know how to dig it. And this sacrifice they make to win at important moments is something that we need to learn from. I want to ask you about Jake DeBrusque. You know, still fairly young player who was trying to make his way, you know, in previous seasons in Boston. It wasn't a great fit. He'd asked for a trade. Uh, after you came on board, he decided to rescind that. He wanted to stay put. I wonder what your conversations were like with Jake in the offseason and what you've experienced uh, with him being his head coach here. Well, I think uh, my conversations with him in the summer were very similar to everybody else. I probably had two or three with him. Um, just about, you know, where I see him being utilized. And um, I did expect to use him more minutes per game and um, in all situations. And I think he was looking forward to that. And I think that we had a healthy conversation about if he's going to play those minutes, the type of conditioning and the type of uh, relentless attitude towards his growth of his game um, that every player needs, right? When you get given those really important minutes that every player wants. And I guess I'm really lucky that uh, I'm coming into JD's life when he is a more mature developing man where he wants more in his life. He wants to be a go-to guy. And I think um, his professionalism has been noticed by everybody in the organization. And that's a credit to him and his growth. Jim, this may go back to when you were talking about shot quality, but I was looking at the numbers again today. Um, the league is averaging 6.31 goals total per game right now, which is the highest since 1993-94 in the National Hockey League. Uh, the power play percentage is the highest, I think, since 1980-81. I looked at, um, it, it, you know, it's it's run and gun to some degree, a little different than when we, when we were younger, obviously. It's a different brand of run and gun. How have you had to adjust to the way you coach, if at all, 
uh, to what we're seeing because it really is just in recent years here that, that this game has gone to another level offensively here throughout the league. Yeah, well, uh, there's two sides to that. Offensively, to keep preaching, to stay on, the, keep your foot on the gas and keep doing the things that are giving us success um, as a team in all three zones. And then the, the, the flip side is, you know, you, you can't, you can't take it easy. We've blown a couple of leads here in the last week or mm-hmm. so at home. And it's because other teams are relentless in their pursuit of how they break out with speed, how they attack your blue line, especially how they attack the middle of your ice uh, through the neutral zone and in the offensive zone and us being aware of how to protect that area. Has anything surprised you or anybody surprised you? Um, and I'm thinking about presence in the locker room, off the ice necessarily. You probably had a, you had a real good sense for what these guys were going to do on the ice. But as you arrive and get to know these guys and see the way they function behind the scenes, was there a presence that somebody had that surprised you in any way, shape, or form? Well, you know, I think I could go through a lot of players in our locker room because it, it is incredible how unselfish this group is. And I, and I think, like, there's there's nights where Bergeron only plays 14 minutes, doesn't say a word. There's n- nights where Taylor Hall should be playing 19 minutes, is playing 15 minutes, and doesn't say a word. Um, but I think the guys that come to mind are uh, Nick Foligno, about how great a person he is um, as a teammate, and then off the ice as well, and the character he shows on ice. Um, David Krejci, who... Um, is a very important quiet leader to our group that I don't think a lot of people realize how important he is to the glue of that locker room, especially with us having um, five checks and him mm-hmm. being the patriarch of, of the Czech mafia, so to speak. Um, but mm-hmm. also how he um, gets along with everybody. Um, and, you know, the last guy I think would be um, our two stud defensemen, Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy. And I put them together because I think the two of them are just starting to really blossom in their overall uh, dominance of a game together and also in their leadership and how they lead that decor um, and take a lot of pride in it. Well, I mean, over the years, I remember having conversations with Claude Julien about a young Brad Marchand and, and working with him uh, about, you know, controlling his actions at time on the ice. And no one has to really have those conversations anymore. Brad Marchand's obviously matured and become one of the great players in this league. But I wonder what it's like to be on his side as opposed to having the coach against him when he can drive your team crazy. You know, it's a treat to be on his side. And, you know, I, I think everybody would expect that, you know, if you're a fan of another one of the 31 teams, you probably hate him. Um, but his second and third effort daily in practice is something to behold and witness. And it's why he's such a great player. Um, besides the skill, it's he has that dog and determination to never be deterred. Um, and then the other thing um, that is was shocking to me um, was how much he wants to learn and get better. Um, you know, the first meeting I had with him in person, we had a real healthy discussion about things. And at the end, he's like, I want to know everything, you know, I want to get better. And that just shows his mindset. I wonder too, with a leadership group like that, what ways do you witness them extract results from the guys around them? Like those good leadership groups can set that tone and really take a lot off a coach's plate, I imagine. What ways does this leadership group function that you kind of see the effect it has on the rest of the guys and their expectations extracting results from the the rest of the players? Yeah, I I think the best example I could give, um, I probably have two, is our last game we're up 4-0 and all of a sudden it goes 4-3 in five minutes in the second. And as it's snowballing, I'm already starting to think, okay, second goal goes in, should I call timeout? And I'm, I'm listening to the players on the bench, and you can tell they're starting to say, hey, we got to start the details and habits that we need to do to have success here, weather the storm. Then the third one goes in, and then they start, like, they start going up and down the bench. So it's like, what am I going to do? I don't need to call timeout. They're 
saying and doing the right things. And I'm like, they're going to work themselves out of it. And I think the other one was two games ago. Um, I did not like the way we played in the first and um, we scored some nice goals and we were up, I think three, nothing um, or it might've been two, nothing. I don't remember, but I got on the team after the first about our habits and that we weren't on the right side of pucks and we were spending too much time in the penalty box. We didn't get much better and the other team actually came back in the game. So at the end of the second, I said to Patrice, it's your locker room. And he spoke to the team. I didn't go in there. I don't know what he said, but I trust that he's going to say, and I just hope he doesn't want to be a coach in the future <laughs> because we went out and it was one, one going, that's it. We're up one, nothing and a one, one. We ended up winning a game four, one. I think they scored a late power play, make it four, two. I said, you keep this up. It's going to be your locker room the rest of the year. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> hey Jim. Um, you know, uh, it was back in May, 2020 that, uh, uh, that you and I uh, connected and uh, you, you had the courage to share uh, your story. Uh, you felt ready to do so at that point, uh, well-documented um, um, in terms of your recovery and obviously, uh, you know, talking about your departure from Dallas. And, and I bet you a lot of people around the game reached out to you when you got the job in Boston to, to tell you how happy they were that, that you got a second chance. And obviously, you know, many ways got a second chance in St. Louis too, being on the bench there. But I mean, as head coach, you know, what's it meant uh, to you to be back in a head coaching position after uh, after what you went through, and and you know, certainly I'm sure uh, not taking any of it for granted at all at this point. No, uh, you're right, and um, you know, just listening to you take me back to the spring of 2020 and our conversation and um, the many people that were able, that did support me, that did reach out um, and gave me the confidence that one, I needed to change. And then two, that I could change. And the gratefulness I have for guys, people like Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube, who gave me the opportunity in St. Louis to get back, but also the people behind the scenes, the John Millers of the world, my wife, um, you know, the people that were there through thick and thin, um, numerous friends I have, and a lot of people in the sport, you know, whether it's coaches and some players that, you know, I've had the good fortune of working with that, you know, reached out and believed in me. Um, and that gives you confidence that you can do it again. And it's it's uh, it requires a change. There's no doubt about it. You need to make a lot of changes in your life, um, and you can't do it alone. Though, and I think that's a real important message that everybody needs to know is that if you know someone that does suffer from addiction, um, they can't do it alone. They need your support, and it's not going to be a smooth sailing ship. It's not. Um, it's not for everyone. It's usually not for everyone. And that, you know, it is a disease and you need to work at it and you need help working at it. Well, that's a great, uh, that's a great got your back story, keeping with the theme of the podcast. Jim, thanks for sharing that. I, I was reading the article again, going over it. And, you know, you talked about taking up meditation, you know, practicing gratitude through an app on your phone, journaling, those sorts of things took you to the place you needed to be. I wonder how much of those things still remain part of your life today. And the, and the second part of that is, did going through that experience, you come out the other side, clearly a, a different person, but I wonder if it changed you as a coach at all in any of those experiences and the growth, the personal growth that you had in, in overcoming these things. Yeah, I don't meditate as often. I do meditate when I feel a need to, um, or I have the time on the road. I tend to do it more than I do at home with four kids. Um, but, um, you know, the, the second part of that, like I do the, the gratitude apps, the first thing I read every day, um, you know, so that hasn't changed. And then, um, in coaching, I think I'm just, I try to be more aware of how people are doing and how people are feeling and making sure that um, I, you know, that I'm just more empathetic towards those things. I used to be, I think, more singular-minded and focused on this is what the team needs to do, and 
this is where the bus is going or I'm okay with the bus going in reverse and then sometimes mm. pulling a Yui. Um, you know, I'm a lot more flexible in understanding that we're all wired differently and that there's a different way to, to reach everybody. And I, I used to be decent at that. And I think I've become um, much better at it. I'm thinking well, about a head coach think, of a, go ahead, Pierre. I was just going to say that as, as a final comment for me, but, and I think that's so important if you think about the, the younger generation of today's player. I mean, I see it when I interact with, with these young men, you know, they are, you know, you don't want to generalize, but they are different. And I think you have to be sensitive to a lot of different things that, and this is not a criticism of coaches of yesteryear, but, you know, just like society is evolving, so is the game. And I think the way you interact, I'm sure as a coach or even among teammates with each other uh, has to change. And, and, and I would think that what you just talked about, Jim, is, is well appreciated in that locker room. Yeah, I think, I think before I did not show, I did not let myself be vulnerable too much because you were the leader and you needed to be strong. Whereas now I, I'm not afraid to tell them exactly what I'm feeling inside myself. If I think it's something that they could benefit from hearing, you know, whether it's a personal story or it's a story I know of, of, um, you know, that they could relate to. I saw Patrice Berger on the video of him handing you that first puck after the, the win, uh, the first win of the year. Uh, that had to feel pretty good. You know, Bergeron handing you that puck in that moment after that win, I think it was uh, early October there. Yeah, it was an unreal moment. <laughs> uh, it sure was, you know. Um, I think that was when it was like, okay, um, you know, you've come full circle. Now let, let's forge ahead. And like I said, it's this group is an amazing group of young men that I'm very, very grateful to be around every day. All right, no head coach is ever completely satisfied. So last question for you, Jim. What, uh, what would be under Jim Montgomery's Christmas tree here for the Boston Bruins? And I'm not talking personnel. I'm not asking you to do the GM's job. But if there's one area, one thing that a coach who's never satisfied would want to improve on, what's, what's under your tree? Well, well, and he's not allowed to say a David Pasternak contract extension because oh. that'll, that'll get him into trouble. So Yeah, no, no. <laughs> It might get me in my trouble, but it is one of my wishes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> duly noted. You better be. Uh, you better be nice and not naughty. Yeah. Uh, um, you know what? Health and happiness for everybody in the Boston Bruins organization. All right. To work with every day. That's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. I thought maybe you'd say like better clears on the penalty kill or something like that, but your guys' numbers are ridiculous. You're second in goals for, first in goals against per game, third on the power play, first on the penalty kill, second in face-offs. You guys have been crushing it this year, Jim. Uh, congratulations on a great start, and uh, thanks so much for taking some time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate being on. All right, that uh, is going to wrap up the podcast this week. Uh, Pierre, uh, love that interview with Jim Montgomery. I thought there was some great messaging there from him. Uh, what a season it's been for the Boston Bruins. But uh, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve right now and his emotions too. And uh, he's been through a lot, and it's hard to blame him. Yeah, and, and again, his message about you know helping people with addiction, I mean, uh, that really comes from the heart for him, You know, given what he's gone through and and what a story, you know, I mean, you, you don't really know where it's all going to head after uh, being let go in Dallas and everything that happened. And now to be the head coach of the first place team of the Boston yeah. Bruins and uh, and being a, in a great place. And uh, it's a fantastic story. And, you uh, did the uh, you did the interview with him, uh, you know, where he was first willing to kind of go on record and discuss everything that, you know, that had happened and everything that he'd been through. Do you see mm -hmm. uh a pretty different guy sitting before us uh, in an interview like that than you did that day? Yeah, it was pretty raw in that moment. It was his first interview, um, um, you know, since everything had gone down. And, um, you know, uh, it was emotional. Uh, you know, I got caught up in it uh, during our interview. We did two interviews. We did one for the column in The Athletic and mm -hmm. then one sort of like this uh, over camera for TSN. And, um you know, when you're talking about your kids and, 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 you know, everything that was in play in that moment, it was incredibly, uh, incredibly raw. And you just respect the guy that's willing to put himself out there that way, knowing that he, you know, 
that it was important in his recovery to do that and, and on, on many different levels. And, you know, glad to see him get another chance. And, and, you know, he's right. Good, good on Doug Armstrong for bringing him to St. Louis first and foremost, for, foremost, because that's the first hire getting yep. into St. Louis on the bench. And then of course, now getting a, a coaching opportunity. Well, and he talked a lot in your article about Jim Neal too. And though Jim Neal was the one that ultimately had to make the move and let him go, mm-hmm. uh, he talked a lot about how that absolutely had to happen. He had to have that low moment so that he could start his road to recovery and has a tremendous amount of respect yeah. for Jim Neal as well. So, uh, yeah, real nice comeback story. The Bruins are a great story this season. Uh, they've been absolutely fantastic so far. I wouldn't want to be running into that group uh, come playoff time. So, uh, yeah, great well, interview, I- great job. And I think it's refreshing. I know we got to go, but I think it's refreshing that when I asked him about Tampa and Toronto, he didn't deflect like a lot of coaches do because you yeah. don't want to you don't want to be radioed. But yeah. bottom line is, if you're those three teams, Boston, Tampa, and Toronto, you want to avoid each other in the first round if you can. Like, come on, no Let's question. Be honest. Yeah, no yeah. question. All right, good stuff, my friend. Thank you kindly. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to talk again before Christmas. So have a wonderful holiday. Have a merry Christmas to you and your family. Great job as always, and. Look forward to uh, getting back to some more podcasts after we open our gifts and fill our bellies, my friend. Right on, right on. Merry Christmas to you as well, Ryan, and to your family. And uh, this has been a fun uh, first couple months on this little adventure we have going here. Thanks for uh, thanks for making it happen, buddy. Absolutely loving it. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all of you. Thank you for your downloads and your subscriptions and your comments and your criticisms. And hey, we're open to it all here on Got Your Back. It's been a fun ride. Big thanks to our sponsors, Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, Pro Hockey Life, and of course, Liberty Smart Security as well. We'll check in with you probably next week at some point, folks. Enjoy family. Enjoy uh, festivities. Enjoy your holidays and uh, stay healthy and happy. We'll talk to you real soon. Cheers. Cheers.